Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and they do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Stephanie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm a compulsive overeater with hyperbolemic, um, anorexic, exercise bulimic, orthorexic, compulsive overeater. I like to overqualify because there's no such thing when you have, for me, um, I try almost everything. So, I'm going to qualify first. I'm actually going to try and be linear for a moment, and then I will probably bounce all over the place because that's how my abstinence has been, and that's how I find recovery. It doesn't go in a straight line. So I came into these rooms about 30 years ago. I was not a baby. (laughs) I was a full-grown adult living on my own in Los Angeles. I'm from New York City. I grew up in Brooklyn. I was raised in a household with someone who may or may not have this disease. I don't qualify people. Um, I was the third of three girls. It looked kind of like a stereotypical life is going to be incredibly difficult for these people. My, I was at the third. My mother was 20 years old. All she wanted was an education. Instead, she had three daughters with absentee fathers. I grew up incredibly hungry. And that's my earliest memories were hunger and of not liking what I was served. So I was hungry, but I refused to eat just anything. My mother couldn't cook. She didn't appreciate anything about it. For her, it was like, I want to keep my kids, not have them be wards of the state again, so I'm going to put some something came out, came out of a can, it went on it, like it was all bad. So I learned very early that I should make friends with people who had two parents and, you know, hot meals. There were lots of moments that were incredibly shameful, embarrassing, where I found myself like being turned away at someone's door because my friends started realizing, oh, you're not really coming to hang out with me, you're coming to eat. But I wasn't, I didn't identify at that point as a compulsive overeater. I was just a normal, everyday hungry child who went to bed hungry because we were poor. So that's where my story began. At 12, I was raped by my uncle, who was the good uncle. He was like the favorite son, the sun had shined on him. He had the perfect job, the perfect family, the perfect, you know, it all looked shiny on the outside. And that's, and that's why um, I know that you don't have to look like a monster to be a monster. After that experience, I kind of shut down emotionally. I was 12 at a point where, you know, 12 years old, I, I'm a mother, 12 years old, is hard just because it's 12 years old. You know, I didn't, I didn't need the extra, but basically, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. 
that I somehow had a mark on me that said, you don't deserve, you're less than, you're unworthy, you... And I hit it. I hit it because I was a badass Brooklyn girl and I wasn't going to show you that I was hurting. So I also, it was very confusing. I was fierce and fabulous and deeply wounded. And I had a lot of um, adverse childhood experiences. I had a lot of trauma. Right? And now I know there's a passion. I have recognizable trauma. You know, there's a test you can do, and I try and get people I know to do it because people underplay trauma. And I did the test for the first time, and I'm like, and it says if you have a trauma score of over four, you're probably going to have clinical reading or be in jail or be like all of these things. And I, mine is a seven. So I don't present with trauma, but I, you know, I've, I've been there, done that, had that. And thanks to this program, I can walk in a room and be, like, not a crazy person. So, I mean, I can go over my whole life. It's just so long because um, I'm not 23 anymore like I was when I walked in. Probably 22 when I walked into these rooms. You guys can do that. And I, when I walked into these rooms, I was... Not quite out of bottom, you know. I was kind of like, maybe I'm not out of bottom. I had eaten out of garbage cans, stolen people's food, stolen money for food. I had moved, you know, out of the country, across the country. I had, you know, put my face where people put their asses. I did. I had done a lot of like not fun things to get that meal. You know, luckily, social media was not a thing, <laughs> so I got to be really hot and messy. And there are no photographs. There's no um, footprint. But I was in New York. I had a breakup. I grew up thinking that there were only two modes. Happy, suicidal. Like, happy, suicidal. I had my first breakup. I went from happy to suicidal. And since I was suicidal and, you know, I went, I, like, it was this kind of suicide where they take you to Bellevue and they, like, make you do the test. They didn't keep me because I'm, like, super charming. Mm-hmm. I can talk my way out of everything. I went to 12 schools before I graduated high school. You know, people used to say, you move a lot. And I was like, yep, my parents are not in the Soviet. That was my, that was my response because I did go to high school in a Navy town at one point. All I know is there was something in me, which I now identify as anxiety, that had me running and running. And I didn't understand what it was. All I knew is that I discovered bulimia, was reading a magazine. I now know that a normal person reading that article would have read it in the way it was intended to be read as a cautionary tale (laughs) and not a (laughs) how-to. I mean, for me, it was like, Here's the answer. Here's the answer. I suddenly, and you know, believing is hard. You don't just get it on the first try, but I was like, I was going to be that person. And I was a grown up. I was over 20, but I had 
done all the things before. I had run races. I had eaten. I had over-exercised. I, like, I'd done all the things. And by the time I found Belina, I was like, oh, the Holy Grail. Let me tell you. I am, and I didn't think of myself as a perfectionist because to me, if you're a perfectionist, your life looks fantastic. Like, it's, shi- it's shiny, it's sparkly, you're driving that, you're doing that, you're working there, you look like that. You're like, when I was 20, in my 20s, like, I would have never called myself a perfectionist because I knew my life was a mess. And so, found bulimia, it, it was on. I... I literally could draw you a map from here to New York of all the single bathrooms. Like, I knew where they were. I, I quit jobs when someone found out I was bulimic. I, like, quit relationships. I was good at quitting. Then I saw something on TV about something, you know, I, I'm going to just out myself and say it was, like, probably some after-school special. They don't do those anymore. They have Netflix and, or whatever. Sorry. But, you know, they have, like, the Internet. And so I found, I saw this thing, and it told me about this thing, and at the end it said, if you have a problem, you can go to Overeaters Anonymous. I was living on Hollywood Boulevard in Laurel Canyon. I was like 22, 23. I found a meeting. It was a Monday night meeting. I crawled in there. I sat in the back. I was going in. I was like, it is a room full of white people. There's just no, no, because I was always looking for the out clause. That was my out clause. It was a lot of people who drove BMWs. I don't know why that car sticks out for me, but it was like, that to me was my, like, when I was a poor little black girl growing up in Brooklyn, I was like, a German car means you've made it. You know, it was, I have to tell you, that meeting saved my life because it was the first time I realized that there were a lot of people who had all the things I thought were the solution, and they were in this meeting, like, sharing. I was like, well, what do you mean you have a mother and a father? And you're so, what do you mean you have a job and a career? What do you mean you have a husband? What do you mean, like, how, how are you still throwing up and not, like, being, like, I'm so fabulous? It, you know, and for me, I kept going in and out, but at some point, I got a sponsor, and I always say this, like, the bulimics get the bulimic sponsors, the anorexics get the anorexic sponsors, the compulsive readers get the compulsive read sponsors, and, like, everyone gets, like, that's what I want. And when they said, get someone who has what you want, I was like, oh, yeah, I want the skinny check over there. You know, I want, like, that person. But I wound up getting this sponsor who was, like, this little spark plug. She was probably in every program, and she was, like, tough. She was not what I thought, like, but she was, like, call me before you eat. Call me after you eat. These were the days where there, were no, there was no such thing as a cell phone. I have a cell phone, and I have the 12 and 12 on. I have AA programs on my phone because I'm someone who could really use a reminder. Two times a day, whatever. And so I... I had this sponsor. I remember going to a house. I did this to do my first fourth step. Like, she was someone who, when she said do this, I did it. I didn't question it. I was like, I did 30 meetings in 30 days. I met some of my best friends. I actually was in a meeting the other day, not a program meeting. 
but I was in a meeting the other day pitching a project, and the person who is my co-partner was my second sponsor for six years. And we're like sisters now. You know, we raised our kids together. Like, it's crazy what happens if you say. Um, I like to say that when I came into this program and when I came into OA, I was going to be the only one who didn't get the thing. Whatever the thing was, like, I didn't get the thing. I just, like, accepted it at birth. Like, you're, my mother used to say, we're poor, we're black, we're women. Life's going to be hard. So that was, like, my bedtime story. Like, so, have, so luckily, this program taught me that I could take those voices out of my head you know, I can do some step work around that. I can recover that part of me that believes I don't deserve. Um, so, so coming into these meetings, what I like about this meeting is I'm, this isn't a home meeting for me. I've probably been here. This is my second or third time ever being here because the thing about these meetings is Going to meetings where I don't know a lot of people, that's what keeps me humble. You know, it, I was in New York last week and I was speaking, and I, I was not, I was in, you know, I'm feeling somebody, so that's fine. Uh, because I've learned how to stand up for myself. Like, I'm super like, I know what I deserve now. And I'm saying that because I just, I'm not a victim. And when I came in this meeting, it was like, oh, like, get out the Shays Lounge, like, let, give me the thanking couch. Let me just tell you my story. It's just so hard. It's just, and you know, I, I don't even like. That's just not me today. It is it, like I wish, you know, social media or the internet was a was around when I came in because if I showed you who I was when I walked in, like I was not trustworthy. I lied for sport. Like I like I remember like, with my first sponsor, she she said, "What are you going to eat today?" And I said, "I'm going to eat this." And then I would change it just a little because I just didn't like telling the truth. Like I just I just wanted to like have control and have my like you don't need to know everything I'm doing. It was like I just lied because I really believe that if if I told you the truth and you got to know me, you would know how absolutely unlovable I was and how damaged I was, and then everything I thought about myself would be, like, on the table. And then I remember, like, doing my first fourth step and going to my sponsor's apartment in West L.A. on a Saturday morning and sitting there and just telling her all these horrible things. And she was like, and, and, and I was getting slightly annoyed because I'm like, no, no, I am terrible. Like I've done, like I'm like like I'm I'm an awful human being. Like I'm awful. I've done this. Like I I stole money. I worked at a coffee shop on Sunset Boulevard and I like binged. And then I would take food home to binge a little more. Like I, you know, I dated people who may or may not have been single. Like I'm, you know, I had a list of things that validated how unworthy I was, and I wanted agreement. So I sponsor five ladies, and I'm telling you, they, they tell me stuff, and I'm like, please, please, there's nothing. 
So, I mean, I don't actually, because everyone needs to feel like there's, you know, everyone needs to understand the weight of their story is the weight of their story, and it's going to make, and, and how, whatever your level of trauma is and how you feel. But the truth is, it's like the stuff we beat ourselves up and the stuff I beat myself up over was just like, most of it was stuff that had been done to me, but I'd gotten it twisted. Like somehow I had attracted these horrible people into my life when I was a child who didn't treat me the way I deserved and who didn't understand boundaries and that I actually did not have a target on my head. You know, so that was really important because when I when I came in here, I had two things going. I was the best and the worst. That's it. I was the best and I was the worst. And I didn't understand what happened in the middle. Like, like what, you know, happy suicidal. So it's been so long since I've been suicidal that it actually feels like another person. And I come from a family of history, a history of women who've been abused and a history of women who've been suicidal. You know, when I was a kid, I remember, like, my mother being in some hospital because she wasn't feeling well. Like, it took a while to figure that one out. And just not understanding that I come from a history of, of people where we just didn't have any coping tools. And, and oh, this one. So I remember when I first, you know, got outside help. You know, I had to go to therapy. I, like, this, I needed a lot. And, and I remember telling my family, like, I'm in program, and I'm in, and they were like, what's wrong with you? Like, like, what's wrong with you? We don't do that. Like, we, like, we don't do that. And I was like, okay, so I've kind of figured out, I've been to enough meetings that you people are crazy. And I, if I want to come to believe that I'm really worthy and deserving, i got to get rid of this stuff. I actually have to unpack this. And, you know, because I, I grew up believing that if I'm not standing on the corner, you know, with a bottle of JD talking to myself, I'm pretty good. <laughs> like, I'm pretty good. Eat something. That'll make you feel better. You know, um, so, like, I remember at the height of my bulimia, I went to visit my relatives in the South, and, they, and I was like, oh. and I was in, in and out of program, but I had enough knowledge to know, like, sitting down at one of these, like, home-cooking Southern things was not going to be a good idea. And my family was like, well, your only problem is you need to eat. I had another problem that they also explained to me, that my problem was I reached too high. That was a bigger problem. I say this because these are the reasons I threw up. These are the reasons I had a lot of anxiety. These are the reasons I didn't, I didn't understand why I felt badass and unworthy at the same time. You know, I didn't understand why there were days where there was no amount of food that was too much. I don't even want to go into the food because I'm in a food meeting. We've all been there. But I, I am just saying that I could eat anybody under the table. I don't do that anymore, but I could. And so I want to talk about what happened. 
I grew up an atheist because, you know, God was about money and industry in my house. You know, you, can, you can't trust those preachers. You can't trust those people. So I had a lot to undo. But again, I also didn't have a higher power that I had to change. I just had to come to believe, which was great because then that meant that I could get some sanity, which was another thing I didn't have much of. I just knew, I knew how to get into things and I knew how to get out of things. I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to sit through things. I didn't know how to have my feelings. I didn't know how to have intimacy. I didn't know how to stay in a job after I've been criticized more than once. You know, I didn't know how to live my life as a functional adult, but I knew how to make a lot of noise, make a lot of mess, get out. I, I didn't know how to just sit, to just sit in the feeling, to just sit, which then became sitting with the food. I remember learning how to sit with food in my stomach. That was, that was the hardest thing I've done. Because it meant sitting with my feelings. It meant believing that I had value. And it meant trusting in you people, who I didn't know. Some of you I didn't want to know. I just, like, but it's, I knew that what I thought and who I was and what I believed wasn't wasn't working, didn't work, wasn't enough. And so when 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 people said you can borrow my faith, you can borrow my belief. When my sponsor said, Do I help one of that for a higher power? I mean, I had like generations of stuff ingrained that said you can't trust people, you can't trust white people, you know, life's going to be hard for you, you don't get to have, you know, you don't need a man. I just say that because I, I don't really need a man, but I'm straight, so I kind of like having one, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I learned that I could separate from the people who brought me into this world, you know, um, because they were my higher power, even when I didn't know. So I had a father who went to all the shiny, bright schools and said, I love you as long as you don't, it doesn't cost me anything. And I had a mother who said, you know, life's just going to be hard. And, you know, I love you. So I felt loved by her. I also felt a lot of stress. And so I want to talk about today. Because I'm standing before you. And had I not walked through those doors, had I not kept coming back, because believe me, I was that person who was like, mm, no, um, let, me, let me leave, find that little shop, that drive-through. Let me, like... And I just kept coming back. And I sat in the back and I sat there. I unfolded, didn't say anything because I didn't trust anybody. Plus, I wanted to keep doing what I was doing because 
I didn't know it really wasn't working. And then I stopped caring what my body looked like. I was like, I just like I, I hit a I hit like a true a true bottom where I was like, tell me what to do, I'll do it. And I did everything. I did like I went to meetings, I did my steps, I took service commitments, I I did everything because the way I was living was so wonky and so untenable. And the way I, I felt like I had track shoes on and I was just like this. I was just like this. And it was like wherever I was, there I was and I just and this program is the reason I'm I get to laugh. So when I was in program for a couple of years, I got diagnosed with a rare disease. Is it ten after? Is it ten after? Okay. So anyway, the point being is I've gone through a divorce. I have a seventeen-year-old. I have two bonus kids, fifteen and seventeen, three girls. I help raise my nephew, who's twelve, who is insanely wonderful because his mother died of breast cancer when he was four. I I play mahjong twice a week. I'm pretty like I have I have a career I love. I have a husband I love most of the time. I am not in a fantasy. You know, he's normal. So and and I, like I'm the mother I wish I had. But in this program, I learned how to mother myself. And I'm someone I'm really proud of today. That is so insane. And I have, you know, I have a life that's bigger and better than my dreams, and things don't always work out. And I, I just don't, like, there's nothing in the refrigerator that can fix it when it doesn't work out. It's like, eh, okay, okay, God wants something else for me. My higher power wants something else. Oh, phew, okay. So, so I'm going to talk a lot about what it's like today. Because that, that's what I think, when I came in, I was the person who sat in the back, left early, like kept sneaking in, leaving early, and I was like, eh, I, you know, I just didn't believe that my life could not be run on this, like, lying, cheating loop, this loop, this, like, unavailable men, like, unavailable, like, like this loop. I can't say enough about what my life looks like today. Not what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's not the fantasy. When I, when I came in here, there was like a eight point something house, like somewhere in some hill. Like, it didn't happen. You know, there was a, you know, like what I wanted and what I thought was going to make me happy were very shallow pursuits. They, because I didn't know. I didn't know that there was, I didn't know that there was something more. That, I was going to say this, ten years, two years after I got in the program, I got diagnosed with a rare blood disorder. So I spent seven hours this morning 
doing a show, basically helping people to to learn that they could actually live a full active life with a rare blood cancer. You can outlive your diagnosis, you can still have kids, you can have a family. And, you know, at one point, this woman said, oh, show me a picture of you in your 20s when you were diagnosed. And then she looked at me, she goes, oh, you look so much younger now. And so, and I'm like, and I was like, girl. Like, I was standing there going, I can't tell you about my program, but let me tell you. Like, um, I go, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of support. You know, I don't, I'm not superwoman. I don't, I don't want to be anybody's higher power, not even my child. You know, um, it's interesting because my mother used to always say, oh, just wait, you're going to get a kid just like you. And I think that had I had a really healthy upbringing, I wouldn't have been in here, I wouldn't have met all of you, so that would have, been, that would have sucked. But, you know, without the damage, I might have been this kid, you know, who feels safe and confident, who's at a camp right now being a counselor for underserved youth at 17. That's what she wants to do, you know, who, who, you know, interns and works a job and takes pictures of work, whatever. Like, like it's just like all these things I can say about this kid, but what I can really say is I really like her. Like, she called me from camp, she's like, I'm homesick. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> that made me so happy, you know? Because, you know, She's never been hungry. You know, she's, you know, she doesn't need the world to revolve around her. She just doesn't need it. She takes pictures. People go, oh, do you want to be a model? She's like, oh, God, no, 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 no. No, I'm like, I have done something right. You know, I've done, I've done, I've done something. And it's not that that's not a great pursuit. It's just when I wanted to pursue it, it's because I wanted more love. You know, I wanted more people. To, I wanted the validation that I was worthy. And the more people who validated me, the better. You know, I'm lucky in the sense of I was able to come in this program, do steps, do steps, do steps, do steps, over. Like, when I sponsor someone, here's what I tell them. I go, so, see, you've been in program a long time. You haven't done the steps. Here's what happened. To me, when I was 40, I wanted, I, I decided that I wanted to vote. Uh, but I didn't know how to swim. I'm from Brooklyn. That's, why, that's how that worked. So I, so I took swimming lessons, and I learned how to swim so that I could vote. Didn't get to that. But I learned how to swim. And so when I sponsor, I tell my sponsee, you're just getting stuff out of the way so you can figure out what's really going on. That's just like an intro. Your first, the first time you do the first step, that's nothing. Just, just get it out of, the, out of the way so you can see what's in your way. I trick them. <laughs> so every one of my sponsors has done this stuff, and I've seen. I have a sponsor, sponsor who's like, oh, he was on step eleven, and I said, can you come on because I'm waiting to view these miracles. You know, like I want to see those miracles happen in the people the same way people saw the miracles happen in me. So, 
it's not just about coming in. You can come in and you can take a seat and you can stay for as long as you want because it says it in the big book. You don't have to do anything. But if you want recovery, if you want your life to absolutely look different, if you want to be able to be intimate, you talk about sex, you can all stop. That's easy. If you want to stay and love people and allow them to love you and know when you're not perfect and like to have low levels of drama, gotta do the steps. Gotta do, it's like you gotta do the steps. You gotta walk those steps. Because I'm someone who wants the things. Like, I wanted the things. So I did the promises because my sponsor was like, I'm not gonna sponsor you if you don't like this. Like, like I'm not a therapist. I'm not gonna sponsor you if you don't do the work. So I had, I had very tough sponsors. Like, I needed that because I was very hard headed. Like, I need someone to sit me down and tell me, like, do this. No, no, I don't want to talk about, like, no. No, it's not therapy. Do the stuff. The answers are in the book. Read the book. And so that's important because I, I, I came in at a time when no one wanted to know how. They, they, no one cared how. They were like, uh-huh, uh-huh, your feelings, your feelings going to change. Do the stuff. Feelings going to change. Do the stuff. Feelings going to change. Do the stuff. And I will say that watching these amazing women and watching their journey and watching, like, how they have recovered and watching the, their lives get bigger and fuller, it's like, like, not me. I didn't, you know, it has nothing to do with me. But it's like, you, you like, we're here as a team. I tell people all the time, I'm Team Stephanie. Only way you can be in my life is if you're Team Stephanie. If you're not Team Stephanie, you're probably not in my life. You can be, like, it's like Remy. You can be on the ninth circle. Y'all know what that is. But I'm just, I'm saying, if you're going to be in my life, you've got to be pro-Stephanie. That doesn't mean you have to agree with me. You have to want my highest and greatest good. You have to be someone who, who, who loves me. You don't even have to agree. So I have a very full life. I somehow managed to keep a lot of my friends that I had when I came in the program. So I have a lot of, I, I had my 50th birthday a few years ago. And, 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 and I had, you know, of the 15 people, I think 10 of them I knew, I've known for like 25, 30 years. That says a lot because, you know, going through recovery is not easy. And people who stuck with me, I'm just so grateful because I feel like they got to see the better me. Um, I don't really have anything else to say except, well, how about that? <laughs> except keep coming back. It works if you work it. And, and you get to decide the level of recovery you want based on the level of work. You know, I missed my 20s and my, and my early 30s because I was only, like, all about my recovery, but those late thirties and forties, I you know I blossomed. Like that's when I grew. That's when I had. That's when my career happened. That's when my life happened. But I spent a lot of time being in recovering my childhood, and this program is how I did it. So thank you all. Yeah.